human leadership deeply starts with me, the leader, being human myself and my own awareness of that. It doesn't mean I'm suddenly some kind of perfect psychological expert, spiritual person, you know, who understands everything about human nature. It's more about me understanding my imperfections and embracing them and not feeling like I have to show up as the person who has all the answers. We're in this process at the moment where we've got these two tides, a tide coming in and a tide going out. And I think there are many leaders who are caught in that tidal change and are finding it quite difficult to know what to do and how to be. The answer to it is you need to be yourself. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. And thank you to Biz Simply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And Biz Simply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, roles and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, and how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. And together, we want to share strategies, tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. And in this week's conversation, we'll go on a journey into how we as leaders need to change our approach to leadership to ensure we get the best out of our people, as well creating an environment they will thrive in. And for this, we have a very special guest, Paula Lusch, who is the passionate about great leadership and the difference it can make in organization and the wider world. She is an author, a speaker on leadership, and she works as an executive coach and advisor and have a huge background as a chief people officer and executive with more than 25 years of experience in corporate multinationals and large-scale complex public sector organizations. And we start the conversation discussing the question, why do we need to change the approach to leadership? We discuss the current state of the world, pandemic, climate change, the need for businesses to be a force for good. And also, due to all this, we actually need to find a different approach. And it starts with leadership and how we build our organization. We talk about how leadership tools and people practice really have to be pragmatic, practical and simple to have an impact in the organization to also to get the time they need in the busy day for leaders and teams. Paula gives some great examples on how she approached helping leaders developing approaches that maximize the impact on the organization and its people. Paula talk about how we are gone from a more task-based leadership approach to a more humane leadership approach, which means that we as leaders need to unlearn and learn new ways that meaning diving into ourselves and also think about how we, we lead others. She believes that the advancement of technology has actually already enabled us to lead more humane. We just need to lean into it. And she says that it's about enjoying the journey, else she believes it can become very, very hard just a couple of years down the line as technology advances. We talk about the power of teams getting more involved in making the plans and making decisions. We also talk about how that for many, many leaders feels as a big threat, 
giving their people the freedom to do this because they start asking themselves questions. What is my role? Will I lose my job? And how do I deal with it? Paul also talks about the importance of making space and think and connect with yourself as a leader to make sure you have the clarity and energy and emotional headspace to deal with all the uncertainty that's coming. Along the way, we talk human to machine, machine to human. We talk leadership trends and shifts going on right now, how to work differently and keep pace with the speeds of technology, leaders' role in creating clarity and get out of the way, the power of belonging to a culture, learning mindset, FOMOs, and leading with heart, and much, much more. Before you tune in, please sign up to our weekly newsletter on hospitalitymavericks.com, packed with more Maverick insights, strategies, and tools. Now, please grab notebook. I'm sure this conversation will move your thinking about leadership. So let's get started. I'm super excited about today's subjects uh, because uh, as the guest already had discovered in our, our pre-conversation and before we go live, it's something I'm deeply passionate about. Uh, we're going to be talking about this big subject uh, that's called leadership and how we become better at it. And I think especially in the, in the times we're going through now, there's no better time to revisit uh, the leadership book. I think most of us has been through the crisis management. Now we are in this kind of new world where we need to find new ways and new approaches to create these cultures we, we want to create, actually, so we get the best out of people, because I think that's what every leader wants. And for that, I'm, I'm very lucky to be joined by Paula today. And Paula is uh, not just an expert on leadership. She's been a senior leader herself for years in corporate lives. She's written a book about this, which we're going to touch around today. So so welcome to the, to the show, Paula. I'm really, really excited about what we're going to be talking about today. Because yeah, when I read your book, I was just nodding all the way through. I said, why have how, why had no one thought about writing it so simple and plain as this before? Thank you so much, Michael. It's lovely to be here. And thanks for inviting me. Really looking forward to the conversation. So for people out there that haven't had your book in their hand, haven't seen your content you're doing on LinkedIn and so on, what what is it that your business is about and why did you start it and, and where where do you come from, from an approach to, to leadership? Yeah, well, maybe I'll start with that. So, you know, my background is I've, I've been... Um, working as a people leader, supporting leaders in organisations, being a leader myself uh, in various different organisational settings for over 20 years. Um, so I had a long um, corporate career, an international career uh, with a large multinational. I've worked in large scale public sector. So I was chief people officer at the UK Home Office. Um, and then I've been chief people officer in a large um, global high growth organisation as well, more of an entrepreneurial setting. Um and throughout all of that time, you know, I rose up through the leadership ranks. So I've been on my own interesting journey, understanding myself and what does leadership mean to me and what works and what doesn't. Um, and I've also observed a lot of leaders as well uh, and the effectiveness of various different styles. And then alongside that, certainly as a chief people officer, the degree of conversations I would have, hopefully as a safe space for people to have that kind of conversation with people in very senior positions, asking questions about their effectiveness and asking questions about how they felt leading in the status quo or whatever environment they're in um, and some of the challenges that they had. And so that led me to two things. It led me to write my book 
um, thank you, which is, is called Vantage Points. And I know we'll talk a little bit about some of those principles in the book today. And the book is really so pragmatic because I'm pragmatic, because most leadership books are wonderful. They're, 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 they're either research books, which are evidence-based, written by wonderful professors or, you know, people who are bringing new empirical data. That's amazing. On the other hand, they might be books that are written by, um, you know, successful CEOs who are telling their stories. And they're really interesting, too. My, my book isn't either of those things. It is really um, sits in the middle of that. It's very much an observational piece, but completely pragmatic, almost like I'm sort of sitting alongside the reader. Um, really thinking about what's the point? What's the point of your role as a leader? And how can you work your way through that on a day to day basis? and make an impact. So that's really what the book is all around. Um, and it really is targeted to anyone, whether you, whether you lead 10 people or 100,000 people, my observation would be that those principles are the same. So that's one. And then the second thing it led me to um, was setting up my business, um, which um, is now just fantastic. So many interesting conversations, so much interesting uh, work now moving forwards. And I do two main things. So I coach and partner with senior leaders and executives, helping them through that practical day-to-day -day journey, being a thought partner, if you like. And then um, I also provide advisory and mentoring services on anything to do with the strategic side of leading thriving cultures and people and people change in organisations. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I do. That's my background. And I'm simply passionate about the potential of all of us, the potential of people, and the leader's job is to harness that in ourselves and in our people. So, when you work with your client, what is that? You know, what is that your unique thing that you think that you are bringing to the table, and what is it that they're coming for you to to have? Besides, you have an incredible experience and 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 wisdom from that. Well, for me, it probably is. I, I said it when I was talking about the book and the advice of the book, but it really is pragmatism because. I, I'm, I've worked with, you know, some amazing thought leaders and consultants over the years. The trick, though, is converting that, in my experience, into things that work on a day-to-day -day basis when the reality of life is that the schedule is full, you're being pulled in this pillar to that pillar. Everyone doesn't agree, so <laughs> you can do lots of work with teams, but there's always different dynamics at play. And so, you know, my interest in working with people is really making sure that the things that we do, that we invest in, that we make an impact around are the things that genuinely will make a difference. And I suppose the other piece to the, the, the sort of the, the mirror image of pragmatism is simplicity. So, and we're, I know we'll probably touch on this in terms of the complexity of everything that leaders are facing right now. You know, the most important part of leadership is being able to create simplicity out of complexity because that's how you create momentum for for yourself and for groups of people so i think that piece of absolute pragmatism and a focus on the human aspect of making things happen because at the end of the day really that's all we've got in terms of the resources around us, how we can influence things as leaders. So it's the human aspect and the practical aspect. Um, I'm, I'm heavily focused on, you know, if I'm working with a client, 
we want to do things that embed, sustain and make a difference for the long term, not that we do and look shiny and look great in a presentation, but don't really make a difference to the people in your organization and to, you know, the progress that you're trying to make. Yeah, we can dive into it a bit later because I think that what's really interesting is there's a lot of great books on leadership, as you say, a lot of thought leadership, like empiric uh, things. But there's, there's that thing, and then how do I then apply it into my crazy schedule? And how do I get the energy to do it? Because some of it is quite hard sometimes as well. That's like a change you need to do within yourself and within your team. And not everybody is jumping on. It's a bit like the... Uh, Majority curve is not straightforward. It's like you need you need to to work on it. And how do I actually make it so similarly work? So we'll come back to that. So I actually I really like that because I think yeah, there's a lot of great books I read as well where I said okay, I can maybe take one thing out of here and practical implement. But I need to think myself how I do that. And I think that's the key thing as well as we go into and we'll talk a bit more about complexity as you you spot on, uh, especially for listeners out there. There's a lot of complexity hitting right now and and it's probably not over for a very near future um what about uh, also i saw when i, I checked something you, you're doing the the vantage points foundation you're launching that very soon and i thought that was very very interesting it's it's for for women in in, in leadership uh as well you're trying to create a platform can you tell a bit more about that and what that's about and what what people can expect when that goes live uh, i guess it's very soon it's in june isn't it yeah, yeah, we should be launching in June. So yeah, thanks for the opportunity to share a little bit about this. So when when I decided to set up the business, I absolutely knew that I wanted to set up, set up a business that was shared value right from the start. And actually, many people have said to me, oh, why don't you get the business up and running and then start the foundation you know, at a later stage? And my view was, no, I'm not going to do that. So a portion of everything that the business makes goes into the foundation. Um, and supports the growth of that foundation. And the point of it is really back to my overall interest and my overall purpose, which is that everybody has amazing potential. What I've noticed, um, what I've noticed over the years being a female, you know, in many male dominated industries myself, and also working with women so much, I've, I've, I do a lot of work with women and a lot of work on women's programs. Um, the needle is still not being moved fast enough. You know, we're moving, but it's quite glacial. Is it sustainable? I don't know. And so I think that um, my small part that I wanted to play was I want to find these amazing young women, because I know they're there, um, who are at the start of their careers. And they might not have the social capital that my daughters have and will have when when they get to this stage in in their career they're a little bit younger um but what we wanted to do was make sure that we don't lose the momentum that these young people might be bringing so we are coaching them we are inspiring them we are creating networks for them hoping to provide some work experience as well so that they can truly reach for their dream careers and feel inspired to be completely themselves so and and reach for that completely so that's exactly what we're looking to do that sounds really really interesting especially in these times where people are really looking for you know how do i get the best out of myself how do i future secure myself um and and that maybe leads into to to, to my next question about because 
with all this happening, you know, we, we don't have to analyze the pandemic. We're in the middle of it. We're probably not out of the woods yet. You know, I think any industry, you will know that leaders has been under huge pressure, no matter what level they at. They had to really find ways of uh, running and operating the business, uh, the industry, which uh, we cover mostly the hospitality industry is just about now starting to see revenue is is coming back in some kind of level that is uh, close to normal, but there's still so many challenges to deal with. Why is it important for you? You talk a lot about it in your book and in general, your content, you talk about it's a good time now in, in history actually to stop up and actually have reflect a bit about our approach as leaders and how we've done things. Yeah, so yeah, you, you talked about the complexity piece and I, I think this is the... This is the shift. So if you if you think about um, leadership over the last 200 years or so, you know, we've been through these various shifts um, as technology has enabled us to create and optimize the sort of the the mass capability of humans. Right. So if we sort of talk about it on that macro scale. So first of all, technology enabled us to move into industrialization, but people were still very much you know, part of that sort of physical process. That became very much automated. We then moved into people being very much part of the the sort of knowledge-based, the task-based part of business. Through AI and various different aspects, that's being automated. So so we're now in and forward, you know, from today, we are in more of what I call human leadership age, which is, you know, that the leader's responsibility is to optimise the capability of the human to machine interface and the human to human interface. And I think this brings with it a huge amount of additional complexity because things are moving very fast paced. You've got globalization, you've got, you know, economic challenges, you've got you've got a joined up world in a way we just hadn't experienced previously that it is now just so much of a system for leaders to be able to work with. Um, and and, and and we've got this human aspect now. There's there's a challenge with it, but there's also just a beautiful opportunity with it as well. So the challenge is that's different. It's different to what when I was growing up as a leader, I saw leaders above me doing. So what I learned, because that was more task-based leadership, this pace of change has happened so quickly, you know, that, that we're now lead, we've got to leadership positions and we're having to lead differently to those who came before us. So that's a real challenge and it's all very, you know, continuing to move with that fast pace and uncertainty. On the other side, um, and I, I don't I don't hear much about this, so I love to kind of just bring this thought into the equation, which is if you again, if you rise up into thinking about human beings and the fact that we, you know, are such an amazing species on the planet, you know, what has actually created our ability to evolve, etc. It is the fact that we're social, the fact that we're creative and imaginative, and the fact that we're innovative. And through going through these phases, we're almost freed again from, you know, technology has freed us to be able to make the most of those human characteristics. Now, I think that is really interesting and really fascinating. The challenge for the leader is to sort of go full circle if you like because we are now leading in a very human context 
versus leading task. And it's a shift. Is it any more difficult than leading task? Well, it depends. It might feel very different. And so we're having to learn new skills at a point in our careers where we thought we might have actually known more. And I think that might feel quite challenging too. So what you're saying is almost that we as leaders almost are in this period of time because society have moved, the pandemic has probably fast forward some things that maybe would happen slower. Uh, we almost need to unlearn some some things we've learned. And we thought that was the algorithm to do it right. Yeah, I, I do think that's right. And I think, you know, oh gosh, isn't, I mean, everything has a has a has a power and a shadow side to it. And I suppose our choices, how we choose to view that. So we can either view that as really scary, oh, I don't want to do that, I want to resist that. Or we can view that as, wow, how interesting. I get to lead and learn about leadership in different ways in different phases through my career because of this pace of change. How interesting is that? How stimulating is that? And the truth of the matter is the change has happened. So it's your whether you resist it or whether you embrace it, <laughs> um, this this change has already occurred because technology enabled it. So um stepping into that from a positive mindset, a growth mindset, if you like, um, is a really brilliant opportunity for leaders. Um, but it's a really different way of approaching your day job, um, actually. Whereas if you um, resist it, uh, I think it will come upon you in waves over the next coming few years anyway. And that could end up feeling quite frustrating. And will it will it feel challenging? And does it feel challenging? Yes, of course. Um, but, you know, leadership is a challenging, is a challenging job. Is there like some some trends that you are seeing that like really drives this? Uh, is there like some shift? You say this is the the top trends I'm I'm basing things on, and this is what I can see that you can almost say it's what in principle the people want or the employees they actually have different you know needs and they want to see something different. I guess it's all about as well. Yeah, so I'm actually I'm doing some research at the moment, um, which will fuel. A publication later on this year that I'm going to do. So on the back of, on the back of writing the book, um, I just had so many interesting conversations that it prompted me to do this next level of research, which is also helping to inform um, some of my coaching practice and signature program that I'm launching soon. And in that research, you know, I'm about halfway through it. Um, I'm asking senior leaders and senior HR professionals as well, so a mixture about this type of question. So this isn't just my view, this is actually what I'm learning. Um, and definitely there is a need for stronger, that the two things that are coming up more than anything are empathy and agility as the skill set required for the future, driven by um, demographics. So the generational changes. I mean, we've been talking about millennials for ages, but in actual fact, the real shift is going to come with Gen Z. So this requirement for people to feel a real sense of belonging and a real sense of purpose in what they're doing and leaders needing to kind of adapt to that. Otherwise, people will will just go elsewhere. Um, so there's something around that demographic. 
definitely a shift happening around technology. Um, but it's not all about the technology. It's about the human enablement that technology brings. And therefore, lead is the really similar principle to what I just talked about in terms of that, you know, it's about human to human and human to machine interface. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is, is this broader awakening and understanding that we are all part of a bigger system, bigger world. So whether it's the environmental challenges, you know, I mean, I, I would say, and, and a lot of the people that are part of this research has said, you know, COVID in and of itself didn't cause these shifts and changes, but what it has done has been served as an accelerator to many of these things that were happening. So mental health, for example, and people's overall well-being and health in the workplace, you know, we're talking about it in ways we weren't just over a year ago. Um, that was always coming through as, a, as another aspect of what we needed to take care of because that increased pace, pace, pace gets to a point where you have to do things differently because the human physical body, mental body cannot keep up with the technological pace of change. So we have to work differently as humans in that system and leaders have to too. So they're the sorts of themes that are, that are coming out through the research, um, but also that definitely are, are, are confirming what I had already been seeing and watching over over actually quite a number of years yeah it's super interesting because i agree as well in how i observe it and we're doing uh, not just just exact but also looking at the industry what it means for a workforce kind of and we see similar trends and it's really interesting to talk about the, the human to machine and we call the we call it the people to technology that interaction actually if you look at it at, at a positive spin actually you can actually use technology to free people from doing machine tasks, inputting things into spreadsheet or in a restaurant setting uh, into a till. You can actually spend more time on the human interaction if you understand to use that creativity in the right way and actually give people permission to, to actually act and serve customers and so on. So it's really, really interesting. So I see some of the similar things. And I think you're absolutely right. They were already happening. The gen set were already demanding a, a different place to work. And one of the biggest challenges uh, there is within our industry is also the lower labor shortage there is now, uh, maybe up to 30% of the capacity that's needed just to open and close restaurants or hotels or whatever it is, um, is maybe come to that we have not been good enough to 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 show the young people that that's actually an industry that can give you that kind of environment, which I actually think it can, but we just forgot to talk about and actually reset reset the, the ways we're doing things. What does this mean for the, um, you know, this, uh, you know, we, we need to change our way of human. You talked about a more human leadership before as well. What does that mean for the CEO? Uh, because the CEO is looking at this and the CEO is always the one that's responsible for for where the ship is going it's the top person in any organization and uh, they have all this complexity and how do they create clarity within all that because that's their job you said in the beginning as well yeah i think there's two jobs and i and this is sort of the backbone of the book really i think there's two jobs for a leader so if you accept that any leader's role is to move something from a to b so the role of the leader is to create momentum, create collective agency, whatever it is, to move something from A to B. 
that that could be, you know, running a restaurant for a shift. And by the beginning and the end of the shift, you've served so many customers and you, you've moved something from A to B. It could be a complete transformation. You know, it could be a big transformation that's going to last five years. It doesn't really matter. You're, you know, the, the principle is the same. And therefore, the two jobs of the leader, if we really simplify it, is to create clarity and to get out of the way. So to create clarity and to create space. And for a and so that's no different for a CEO actually is for any leader. Because the the most important thing for a CEO is to be a custodian for the conditions in the organization. So you are there to make sure that the conditions are right for people to be able to move things from A to B. Um, and so the clarity side of that, and we, we might touch on the on the other side of it in terms of getting out of the way, but the clarity side of that, what I find here is, you know, leaders really need space to make sense of clarity in order to be able to communicate it. So there's, there's three kind of elements I tend to think about here in creating clarity. One is to um, to set the scene. So what are the general what is the general outline of where we're going and why are we doing it? I mean, when we just talk about Gen Z, they want to know why. They're not there just to show up and do a shift and walk home again. They want to know why they're doing it. In actual fact, that's true of all of us, really, isn't it? Um so creating that compelling vision, then secondly, being able to colour that in with the next level of detail. You know, and I think co-creating that is fantastic. This isn't about being dictatorial about it. It's about inviting everybody in. The job of the CEO or any leader is to ensure that clarity exists, not to dictate the clarity. Um, it might be quicker sometimes to dictate the clarity, but you might find that you haven't got the best, you're not the best person to necessarily do that. And also, is everybody on board if you do that? But if you do that together, then everybody is marching in the same direction. It enables you to step away because, you know, you have trust that you're, you don't have to keep dipping in and checking in things and steer and course correcting because everybody is generally in the right direction. So that is critical. And I think whenever you think you've got clarity, you have to check. So the piece about communication to me is not, oh, I stood up in a town hall and you know, told everybody this is what we're doing or we'd run some focus groups, we'd got your feedback and now here we all are, this is what we're doing. It's constantly that process of having people repeat back to you, you know, where are we going and why? And test it, see how it's working. You know, that two-way communication is the lifeblood of making sure that you have got clear parameters as an organisation. Without them, you're going to waste a lot of time and a lot of money because people are going to do the, think they're doing the right thing, but sort of head off in different directions and your focus will be taken away. And so that really is a core responsibility of any leader. And, and what I would say is, you know, if you, I, I have a phrase with it, I have two phrases within this that I think is really important. One is brilliant, simplistic phrase, always to ask, ourselves as leaders is what is the point do i understand what the point of this is does everybody else understand what the point of it is what is the point it gives you your why it gives you sort of your where the other key simplicity is when you resource an organization when you 
specify work in an organization you know when people need to know what well, i'm doing this job or i'm doing that or i'm working on that project it all has to come back to the work and the work comes from the difference between where you are today and where you want to be tomorrow that work and understanding that work is sort of the purpose of having clarity so I think I've just distilled about a third of the book in one answer, probably quite in quite a long-winded way. It's interesting because uh, you always talk about clarity and direction is one of the CEO roles, and then it's uh, getting the right people on the bus and sometimes the wrong people off the bus when they're not fitting, and then you know build a culture where it's possible to do your best work and uh, then get out of the way, as you say. So how do they, you know, because I guess all these changes and away from, you know, in principle, I think Daniel Pink, he calls it autonomy, giving people more autonomy to do their work. I guess it also means it's not just a change up here in your mindset and approach and how the CEO thinks leadership. It's also a way the whole organization is working you know, how exactly, you know, we learned very quickly that people can work from home and do their job. They can have that autonomy to do that. Do you think there's going to be a bigger movement to it? There's been a lot of talk over the last couple of years about, you know, self-organized organization where actually, you know, you involve the employees in running the business and they actually, that group, smaller groups will take their own decisions that doesn't have to be approved somewhere in the organization. They know what the direction, the vision of the business is. They're very clear about that. They've been part of developing it. Also, they know which principles they need to take decisions on. They know the, the values that underlines that. And actually, you need less management and leadership from, from the top. I completely agree with that. And I think, I, I feel like people are just brilliant on the whole. And I've, I've, in all of my years, uh, have I ever come across anybody who I genuinely think has woken up in the morning and got out of bed and thought, I'm going to do a bad bad day's work today? I, I mean, I haven't. Um, but I have come across lots of people who don't really understand where they're meant to be going, whether anyone cares about the thing that they're working on, you know. And so that's why I came to this principle of clarity. And, and actually... I, I think of it as there's, there's two different visual uh, things I use in the book. So one is the wings of a butterfly. So when I think about creating clarity and creating space or getting out of the way, you have to do both because they both re- they, they, they're synchronous. They rely on each other. So you can't actually, as a leader, get out of the way and not manage the situation if you haven't created enough or ensured there is enough clarity. Equally, it's quite difficult to ensure clarity and make sense in a in a in a straightforward way if you're not if you haven't got enough space yourself <laughs> to do the sense making and the thinking and to consider your impactful communications and so on. So that sort of sense that this is a butterfly is is quite an interesting dynamic. And you know, at the back of the book, I, t- I give people kind of different tools that they can think about how to actually incorporate these ideas into their working day into their working week so the butterfly is one the other one is right at the end of the book i talk about this concept between push leadership and magnetic leadership and what i mean by that this isn't i'm not talking about push leadership as command and control what i'm talking about is often we find ourselves as leaders i mean gosh, i was in a meeting earlier end of the last week with some senior leaders 
And they had the same moan that I hear from lots of people, which is, oh, you know, why is it that I have to keep getting involved? All the decision making keeps rising up to us, you know, et cetera. I hear this so much. And the issue is that you could potentially be sort of slightly stuck in push leadership. And what that means is everything relies on me. So I have a group of people who are working with me um, and but everything relies on me making things happen. So everyone's looking to me for direction and I'm providing the direction. It's a passivity kind of thing. It's exhausting for leaders, actually. What is What works better is to get to a situation where you've got magnetic leadership, where you are there, you are creating the conditions, so you've created the clarity such that everyone who is working around you is almost in orbit. So they are pulled towards that idea. You don't have to push it out because you're like a lighthouse. People can see it and they come towards it, but they use their own initiative. So you move away from that passivity and you move more into this whole concept of people being, bringing their brilliant you know, capability into the interpretation of what that clear direction means. So that, that again, so there's the butterfly and then there's this idea of sort of push leadership versus magnetic leadership. And that becomes this amazing kind of self-reinforcing aspect because the more you do of it, the more capable people around you are, the more you are able to create more of a beam of clarity that attracts in more. You don't have to be the CEO to be doing this. And you can be anyone in any leadership position. And when I coach clients, we talk about creating microclimates. So doing this kind of work, showing up in this way, being brave and creating a microclimate because it doesn't just create a microclimate in your bit of the organization. It can actually then ripple around and people are like, oh, wow, what's happening over there? And then other people come to learn. So you can have leadership influence. You don't have to wait or others in your organization or, or higher up than you to demonstrate these kinds of shifts. And it's so interesting what you're saying here. My own experience is also when I've been leading teams, um, uh, a very concrete example, I was put in charts of a team that was underperforming. And I was, what I normally have done was turn teams around. So they, and, uh, and I was a, a bit more wise. I find out I shouldn't dictate where we're going. I should involve them in where we're going. And very quickly, I came to that magnetic situation because I actually made them create the plan. And I can remember I, my senior leader said, what did you do? I asked them what in principle, very simply, I said, that was not a simple process. We had a couple of sessions around it, but I actually asked them, what is the plan? Where do you want to go with this? What do you know that I don't know? Uh, so I actually just helped them clarify their own knowledge and actually sit in some kind of structure. And then they, and then they just started, you know, moving along with the project. But the thing was my boss didn't like that because he liked that the boss actually said, here's the plan. And this is what we're going to do. He said, they're not going to do their job. They said, I promise you, by the end of the year, the results going to be twice as good as we put in the plan. And they were three times as good. And you know, my only job was walking around. You call it the lighthouse. I just call it the conductor. I was just finding out actually, why is that person not feeling on top of themselves today? What do I need to do to get that person to be the best version of themselves? Because we had created the clarity. And it was not a, it was not a big team. It was a team of 15, but we outperformed many, many, many other teams 
just because of that. But that was also, it took me some experience to get there and I was really interested in it. But uh, it's so powerful, uh, you say, and, and and it's about actually getting people involved because they actually know the plan, I think. And that's what we forget in leadership often. The people that are out there every day know the plan that needs to be developed better than you do as the senior person. I think, you know, most people, whatever their job is, you know, this is, this is just as straightforward as the example that we've no, all known for years and heard about for years, about the... The person sweeping the floor at um, NASA and somebody asked what their job was and they said it was putting a man on the moon. I mean, you know, it's 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 this is purpose in action. This is helping everybody to feel a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging. And actually, you know, if you get to belonging so people feel they belong. When I feel I belong, I get into flow. Then I'm going to do my best work. I'm not going to feel restricted. I'm not... And actually, when I when I think about um, when I think about some of the challenges we've been trying to deal with in sort of thriving cultures for say the last 10, 15, 20 years, maybe maybe more, but say specifically that time frame on things like diversity and inclusion. If you create a magnetic culture, it automatically enables everybody to be themselves because it doesn't matter. It's about the outcome. Whereas if you're in a push culture situation, it's really, really hard to invite lots of dip because there's one way. Um, and as, and so many leaders, I think I, 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 I feel the way I work with leaders is it's really, really a partnership because I've been there too on a day to day basis getting your head above water for long enough to do the work on yourself and the thinking is really, really hard to then bring that into your workplace. Because, you know, you get to Friday evening and you're just grateful that you've made it through the week, um, you know, and, and, and your calendar's full and you've just about solved this problem and that problem. But the, the issue is the next week you sort of go in and do the same. And it, the difference between moving from that into something which is so much more fulfilling for you as the leader as well as everyone around you is enabling yourself to have some space and that that is the difference and it's a brave choice but it's actually not as difficult i think as many leaders think that it is to create that space one of the things I was thinking about, Paula, as you were talking there as well, is that do you think there is also with this shift that's coming where people are talking about the, one of the things I'm really interested in at the moment is creating the self-managed organization. We talked a bit about, do you think a lot of leaders are scared of that? Would that mean? Because that doesn't mean they lose their job. It maybe just mean they're actually going to have a, a better job and their role is not going to be managing the task, but it's going to be managing the direction, as I often say that. We still need you because we need your wisdom. We need your knowledge about how the clients, the organization work, You know all the emotional things you can't put into a computer and actually classify in a way. Are you seeing the same thing? There's this fear in, in, in the mid-management and also in the senior that actually you know this pull through that we're putting all the autonomy and decision power out in the in the front line if we say so actually it's a bit of a threat and they don't know what to do with that and they feel a bit it's overwhelming and on top of they have to deal with business complexity yeah i i think it's two things so one is i think you know when we talked at the beginning about this you know this change is happening you've got this choice do you resist it or do you you know 
celebrate the opportunity that you are, you don't, you know, there's no God-given right that you reach a certain point on a hierarchical structure chart and you've arrived. I think you almost have to think of it the other way around. You know, the higher up I get on this organizational structure chart, the less I know and the more learning I have to do and the more open I have to be to that. Um, and that, that I think is a mindset shift. It's a fundamental mindset shift. And it is scary, I think, for many people where I think we've been led to believe that you kind of make your way up this ladder, you know, and, and it isn't that way. It's the opposite. Well, well, actually, no, you become more vulnerable. You become more, you become, but if you're not able to resist that, you actually create much more risk for yourself than if you do, you know, create a learning mindset. So I think I think partly it's that. I, I think the other thing that is at play, in my view, at se very senior levels, is it's about deep self-awareness. And so I, I think many people, you know, say the right things and they actually, they do believe them, you know, whether it's about, empowerment, whether it's about including people, whether it's about inclusivity, etc. The real challenge is understanding as a leader that these human things in organizations, um, if you believe these things, then it's you. It's you. You have to do something different. You have to show up differently every day. You have to change. It's not something you can delegate. It's not something you can create a project team around who will then go and solve it. And I, and I think it's this understanding that human leadership deeply starts with me, the leader, being human myself and my own awareness of that. It doesn't mean I'm suddenly some kind of perfect psychological expert, spiritual person, you know, who understands everything about human nature. I, it, it's, that's not what I mean. It's more about me understanding my imperfections and embracing them and not feeling like I have to show up as the person who has all the answers. And I think it feels to me like we're in this process at the moment where we've got these two tides, a tide coming in and a tide going out. And I think there are many leaders who are caught in that tidal change and are finding it quite difficult to know, you know, what what to do and how to be. Um, the answer to it is you need to be yourself. And that might mean doing some things that feel a little bit scary, but it's okay because nobody's actually expecting you to have all the answers. I'll give you an example um, of employee engagement and increasingly you know organizations are expected to have the voice of the employee um represented in key decision making in their organization you know, this is increasingly coming through whether it comes through in regulation or whether it just comes through in what's expected or even what employees expect and, and many leaders find it really difficult to hear this feedback and not feel that they have to then they, sometimes they feel defensive about the feedback or sometimes they feel like they need to have the answers to it. Whereas in actual fact, if you talk to the employee or even if you just think, oh, me as an employee myself, 
I'm not expecting anybody else to have all the answers. What I want is a conversation. What I want is to be seen and heard. And I think actually that can feel quite scary for leaders because it's that moment where you're, you know, I could be stood in a room of, you know, quite a lot of people who are feeling quite emotional about something and I might not be able to make it all right. But in actual fact, by acknowledging it and saying you work on it together, you are making things right. What's expected? No one wants you to have all the answers because they want to be involved in having the answers together or working it through. So I think that's a real life example of this sort of tension playing out. And I would just really encourage leaders to have a go at being in places where they don't know everything. It's really never, it's amazing. It'll never be as bad as you think it's going to be. It's so interesting you say, Paula, but I re- we recently started some work and, and I, I'm, I'm heading it up and I'm meeting this founder of a business um, uh, and there's some really good things happening. There's been some really challenging things and uh, this founder is very keen on moving decision power down in the exactly the problem you said why are they coming to me with all the stuff so i said okay well let's move it to a more autonomy there's a freedom framework of freedom and then he said yeah let's get started what is the first initiative and and you could hear in a way that he was not when we had these early conversation he was not there and actually my advice was as well i think we need to start with you and we just stay there for a little bit and it's okay you don't need to go out and launch an initiative. You need to tell the organization what you're doing. We start start with you and the nearest people around you. And then we try some things out. And then we experiment what works for you. And actually, it is an experiment. I think if you can accept that you don't have to have an answer, that don't need to be an algorithm, actually, you can go on that journey uh, and actually discover things a bit like Frodo in, in uh, Lords of Rings. You know, he goes on this journey, but he doesn't know what hits him in a way, but he goes on it and he became the hero in, on the journey because he's open to change and, and adapting and go through some hard times and good times. Um, so I think, I think I almost said to him, like, you're almost creating a Netflix series to actually improve your organization. Of course, you need to have that hook every time something new happens, but you need to start with you because else if the hero as you are the founder of an organization you are in the early days and when you say okay you are the hero you need to find out what's going on inside there so i think that was really good advice and actually i can see that and that's scary for many because that means actually you maybe need to confront something that you know there's there that you don't want to confront as you said what about yourself paula you, you've been you know, your leader, advisor, you said in the beginning as well. What has been your biggest learning? Because I guess you've gone through some shift and where you are now, where you are advising, totally advising, but you're not part of an organization. But what is like your biggest learning? Where do you think the biggest shift was for you that took you to or to where you are today? It's it's about space, to be perfectly honest with you. And I, I sort of go on and on about this quite a lot um, because I think it is one of the most important aspects of leadership is the yin and yang of dynamic action and space to make sense of things. And so the biggest learning for me, and I was in an executive position at the time, and I was, you know, I was exhausted. I should think everyone around me was exhausted because I was always one of those kind of A-type, go, 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 let's kind of make stuff happen had about 10 million ideas plus the business had to run itself you know as well operationally 
but I did this thing at one point where I just, I've always had this thing where if I feel a bit overwhelmed, I just take myself away and I just get a large piece of paper always and I just dump down everything. And you can usually actually make quite a lot of sense and prioritize things. And if you've got that, que that question in your mind, you know, what's the point? You know, about three things pop up and the rest of it is white noise. You can kind of find a way of losing it. But I, I did that at quite a significant level. So I kind of took myself off on my own version of a retreat. So I just all I did was I just cleared my calendar for three days. It was my calendar. You know, I mean, I just left I just you know I could go on holiday and leave my calendar for a week let me find some space in normal working times because this is part of my job and it just keeps getting pushed to the fringes because every week I think I'm going to do this and I don't so I gave myself three days I actually took a couple of people with me I, I didn't go anywhere I, I just came home <laughs> but I invited a couple of people to do some thinking with me and we really came up with three main things. And it's one of the tips I've actually got in the back of the book, which is always have in mind, you know, and I was thinking threes, it doesn't have to be in threes, but, you know, in three years time, what are the three things that I will have done that will have been strategic change? Because that's what my job is. You know, everyone else can run the operation. I'm here to try and sort of got the systemic view to make some sort of transformation happen. Um, and it enabled me to use it on a daily basis. So, you know, I talked right at the beginning about being very pragmatic. Those three things were in my mind every week. And it enabled me to streamline my diary. Like, I mean, there's all these sorts of things that I thought, oh, I need to be in that or someone needs me here or just because of my job title, you know, you're invited to this and you're invited to that. And I just took control of it. I just stopped doing a lot of things. And I created the space that I needed. I put it in first and I used a tool which I'd used as a mum. So when I first became a mum, I had this thing that I used in my calendar called purple time. That's just what I called it because it was highlighted in purple in my calendar. And it was all the times when I had to be on pickup or drop off duty or I had to do something with the, with the children. So I thought I should use purple time for other stuff that's important when I need space. I can't show up as my best self. And I had one particular example where I'd been working flat out. There'd been a particular issue. I'd been responding to it. Other things were meant to happen. I'd come back to this work a couple of months later. It didn't really look like I had um, anticipated. And I didn't react very well because I didn't have emotional equilibrium. I didn't have control of my emotions at that point in time. What I did do was I came back the next day and said to everybody, I'm really sorry. I didn't I didn't react very well to that. Um, I, and that's my worst moment, you know, but sometimes you have those moments and you think I need to create this space for myself. Otherwise, I can't show up properly for everybody else. So that's my biggest learning is about space. And the space required to make sense of that complexity and keep it simple. You talk about space, and I've seen so many things on you know on LinkedIn, and some of the things I had to do myself at some point as well. Especially when you run your own business, it can become quite uh, all-consuming because you think uh, you forget all the good things you learned in your leadership training. You're going to start your own business. Just forget all about that because suddenly everything is on you. 
your your family's wealth and all those things. One of the things I, I found out as well was I I call it I call it monk mornings, where actually three days a week I have time set aside where there's no meeting, there's coming nothing. It's just for you know my mentor called it strategic thinking. Uh, I just I just do things that actually I believe is strategic important for me as an individual and the business. It's so powerful. And you think you're going to miss out. And there's things I don't go to or network meetings, stuff like that. But I have, now I've done this for two years. I've not missed out on anything, especially pandemic, where a lot of people want to do a lot of online stuff. I just said, I can't do it. I can do it in the afternoon. That's it. Uh, because there's no meetings in the mornings. And now I'm down to four days a week where there is this time. And sometimes it's just getting a piece of work done or communicating and working with people on that specific thing instead of, oh, I'm going to a meeting. Because I think also if you as a, a CEO, I don't know if you agree with that, or the founder or the leader of any team have this thing, you're running from one meeting to the other, that's what your people are going to do and nothing is going to get done. So you you have this shadow you throw. Um, and it's quite interesting that you had the same kind of thing, like create space in your diary and you're not going to miss out on anything. You're going to be involved in exactly the things you need to be involved in. I, I think that's absolutely, I love the point about we all have FOMO, so we think we've got to be kind of running the whole time. Um, but I, I think it comes almost from a sort of an inner confidence as well that you have to cultivate within yourself um, that you, you're not, you aren't going to miss anything and what's important will come to you. Um, but if we if we feel our importance is because of this generation of stuff that we're doing the whole time, actually the it's actually really the opposite in truth there's another piece to it um actually also which is not just this is what your people will do if that's what you do um which is really true but also if if you i I think one of the most important things as a leader is to be calm because if you're calm and you have an emotional it doesn't mean you're not emotional and you don't show emotion but you have emotional equilibrium is the way I would describe it. If you have that and you are conscious of how you're feeling and how you're reacting, um, you're you're gonna you're gonna invite so many more people to you know feel that they can come and speak to you and have conversations with you, and you need that because you you need people to be constantly you know touching base with you. And I I heard something the other day where someone was talking about um you know. This 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 issue where you know if we're meet if we're busy the whole time we say we've got an open door policy we say you know we want to meet with people but they can't meet with us for another you know three weeks and you know except I mean I've been there and I've struggled with that and it's really really hard um, to create that sense of calm and presence for other people but that is actually a huge part of the job in all these learnings you had is there like something a book or some people that has been very influential to you and actually shaped the way you think and the way you have become a leader even though you don't lead an organization anymore you're a leader of yourself now as i would say but what is there like three two or three things where people you met on your journey that really helped you make those shifts yeah well the the first person i would always come back to and he my book is dedicated to him and it is my dad and I know it might sound a bit um, typical in a way to say this, but my dad, he had nothing. He left school with no qualifications, grew up on a on a council estate, you know, social housing, uh, youngest of four. 
you know, he rose up into senior management in a multinational automotive company. And he did all of that on his own. But, you know, the most amazing thing about him was that everything he did was completely based on the question, what is the point? So, you know, he just used to get fed up with all the nonsense in organizations and all the positioning, the politics, all of those sorts of things. And he was able to cut through it in a way. He used humor. He used his ability to say no. But, you know, it's amazing. We sometimes think we can't say no because there might be some consequence. I think he just felt like, I'm just going to, this is, this doesn't make any sense. I'm not doing that. Um, and he was never, it was never, you know, uh, unfair to anybody. It was always absolutely respect. Um, but I, I learned a lot about, you know, really asking the question, what is the point of this from him? And maybe my pragmatism comes from him. Um, I don't know, but um, that was certainly a huge influence on me. Um, I think the other thing, and that there's lots of things, but um, I worked for a wonderful boss um, in my first management job. And what she used to do, um, and I think this is a really important point about creating um, accountability with people, which is one of the things that you want to try and create in your teams. It's not just, it's not about involving people because it's a nice thing to do. You want to involve people so that they feel, yes, they can bring their creativity and the ideas, but they're also accountable for what they're delivering so that you can step away from it with trust. And But she used to do it in such a way that I, she would say things to me like, um, oh, this is a fantastic piece of piece of work. I know you're going to be doing this anyway. It made me think about things like this. And I'd be sitting there on the other side of the table thinking, I haven't thought about that at all. And this wasn't a draft. This was my final, you know, copy of this thing. But the way that she spoke to me meant that there was no criticism. I knew exactly what I needed to do. She had belief in me and I didn't want to let her down. But I wanted to support her. But I was left with the job. I was left with the work to do. And I thought that was such a clever way of encouraging that rather than criticizing someone so they have to go and lick their wounds for two hours because they feel rubbish because they didn't quite do good enough. I just loved the way that that felt for me. And I've taken that, I've stolen that and tried to take that forward as much as I can in the way that I engage with, with people as well. I, I just thought that's really powerful. And then the only final thing I would share is that the, there's a book. So my favorite book, and I didn't read it till maybe 2017, I think it's quite recently, but it helped me understand a huge amount about people and people at work and how things are working out. It's, um, it's an Eckhart Tolle book. It's a new earth. I absolutely adore it. So he, he wrote The Power of Now, but I love a new earth. And I think if you can get to a stage where you really understand ego and understand how ego is at work in ourselves and in others, your ability to interact with people, which is what leadership is all about, is hugely enhanced. So it's not a business book. It's it's a book about people. Super interesting. I haven't read that book. It's, I just wrote it down and we're going to put it in the, the show notes for sure. Um, what do you think this, you know, all this shift means when you look at, you know, leaders that are successful right now? I look a lot at the uh, 
at the, uh, the the prime minister of New Zealand and you know many female leaders the, the, the Danish prime minister in the country I came from they they had a good start on the pandemic and seems like they not just kept the numbers down but there's also taking their countries through and I know we're talking about maybe smaller countries here and and I don't think that's that's relevant anyway I'm the smaller big countries the uh, the German ca- council as well Merkel is, is a female as well is there anything we, we can learn from that because there's a lot of people that's been analyzing on that what is your your view on that uh, because they're definitely doing something in crisis that we haven't seen maybe in more male led uh, countries have achieved the same kind of calmness and clarity as they have created for their their countries really fascinating isn't it to and and i think history will will help us understand this more but there's a couple of things i think are interesting about that so one is you you know how um so i probably understood i'm I'm, i feel quite no nonsense about stuff and i think children are brilliant in kind of helping us to stay honest about things and um one of the things that you know, when my children look at leadership and they're 12 and 15, two girls looking around the world at everything they've been exposed to about the way that this pandemic was managed, the thing they remember is Jacinda Ardern standing up and saying the tooth fairy is a key worker. And that that was the thing that they remember of any leader saying anything. And it really exemplifies what you're talking about, which is it's a humanistic approach. It's about being able to interpret the situation as we are experiencing it as humans, a human to human, as opposed to managing the task of project managing the situation. And that isn't to say you don't have to project manage it. I mean, God, this is the biggest project management, you know, complex issue that the world has probably ever faced collectively. But the communication style of it was we're in it together. I'm not here as a politician more important than you that I can't discuss the things that might just bring a little bit of, you know, a collective, you know, joining up of us, you know, together, how we're experiencing it together. So I think that humanity is what's being expressed. And um, one of the things that um, I think is really interesting and, and I think is increasingly on the rise and important when we think about sort of more humanistic leadership. This isn't about men and women, particularly, when I say this. It is about rebalancing the masculine and the feminine in workplaces. And it's really interesting, isn't it? I think this imbalance towards the more masculine, you know, sort of, energy you know the things that um would be classed you know if you sort of think about feminine and masculine energies this whole idea of sort of hard facts data money you know those types as more important than and having more weighting than these you know things about feelings or things about sustainability or how we connect together long-term outcomes of sort of society that might be more on the feminine side, the sort of the, you know, leading with heart. I I actually talk quite a lot about leading with heart because it sort of rises up this idea of sort of the feminine energy. And it's not that you want to rebalance it so that there's no masculine energy and there's only feminine energy. To me, it's about, it genuinely is about just a balance, coming back into balance. 
so that all of these things which are which are all relevant in our human experience become relevant and replicated in our work experiences in the same balance and i think it's been out of balance in society and i think it's been completely out of balance in work and i think that is why we have seen a difference in our ability to include more females in the workplace at the pace at which we'd like at the levels at which we'd like a seniority however it isn't really just about males and females it's about those different energies i know there's plenty of male senior leaders who would love to be able to embrace more of the feminine energy in the way that they show up at work and i think it's happening and i think it's been accelerated by the last year and i think it's our all our responsibility it's not just the responsibility of leaders it's everybody's responsibility to ensure that our workplaces where we spend most of our time replicate the sort of broader societal you know requirements of of what being a human is is about and of ultimately the human experience is is both of those things um not one or the other and i think re is sort of recalibrating that balance at a fundamental level will mean a lot of the problems that we're trying to fix will be fixed it's like getting to root cause rather than trying to deal with symptom and my my fear is if we try to deal with these symptoms whether it's environmental issues mental health you know some of those broader kind of issues with an imbalance of masculine and feminine en- energy we will try to address them as tasks and i think it won't work because i think that's what we've been trying to do so i don't know if that makes sense but to me that whole idea of rebalancing masculine and feminine energies is um is such an interesting opportunity in the human age yeah and i think you're absolutely right because there is probably something about the root cause to many many issues that's not only to do with organizations but also the survival of our planet our species and so on comes from imbalance uh in some kind of way and i can i can remember I was thinking about a quote as you were talking and it it's a bit like from a movie i watched when i was a young boy it's called karate kid where mr miyaki says to the boy it's all about balance and then you know martial arts is all about balance as well and creating the space so you react in the right way and i think that's that that, that was what i was thinking as you were explaining that we're coming to the end of a very super interesting conversation. As I said in the beginning, this is something I'm extremely passionate about. I've learned learned so much, Paul, after this conversation with you. But if we should leave leaders out there with three advice, what would your top three advice be? I could hear you like the, the rule of three as you were talking as well. What is your three pragmatic uh, advices you can give to, to, the, to leaders out there in, in all the complexity they're in right now? So, yeah, I do love a three. Um, The first one is to really seek deep clarity for yourself and for others. And, And that is deep clarity, but with a simplified way of expressing it. So it's just a hard, right? But... Deep clarity doesn't mean adding more complexity and and more information and and more confusion. It's deep clarity with a simplified message. That's the first thing. The second thing is to just 
there's there's a brilliant piece of research that I, I, I refer to in the book um, by the Work Foundation. It's not new. It was done in 2010. And they looked at the difference between great leaders and, and average leaders or outstanding leaders, I think was their comment. And one of one of nine things was take a breath and hold it longer. And by that, this is this is my second point. Be create space for other people to be creative and accountable. So, you know, we can't complain that people aren't accountable if we haven't given them the space to be so. We can't complain that we're not getting the most creativity and problem solving if we haven't given people the space to be so. And that will mean that you as the leader may have to sit with some discomfort because your comfortable place is to go for the answer. But as soon as you start feeling uncomfortable, I don't care what you do, <laughs> do anything, but leave it longer. Take a breath and leave it longer. So that's the second thing. The third one is same about creating space, but this is about creating space for you to broaden your curiosity, really. So a leader that isn't learning, having a growth mindset, constantly just looking outside their sphere of expertise for different ways of influencing how they continue to grow, I think is a leader who you know, it's, it's going to plateau at some point. I think to continue to grow, you have to be constantly learning. So creating space for curiosity and in that, challenging the status quo. You know, when I talked about the, when you create clarity, one of the things you, you create clarity around is what is the actual work done? Everything else falls away. You know, the way you've done it in the past, the structure of your organisation, all of that. If everything fell away and you were left with, this is the work that needs to get done, how would you do it? And a leader who has the curiosity to innovate in their own mind and to think, you know, what a joyful thing to be able to do, even in times of real challenge, you know, which I know, in, and we're, we're talking within, you know, your podcast, this industry who have been through so much challenge in the last year and a half, this, it might feel odd to think that you could find some joy in that. But I think that um, that is your creativity at work as a leader. And that is going to bring an energy into spaces and organisations, which is really needed, and a positive energy, because in order to, to find new ways of doing things to you know, create the next iteration to not get left behind. Organisations need leaders who are creating space for creativity and curiosity themselves. So they're the three things that I would um, I would encourage people to to focus on as leaders. And that's that is your job. And that could be for many definitely a big change, and you can take it in steps. But I love the clarity take the, the time to breath i call the monk mornings whatever it is you put in place and then that you know th that hunger for, for learn and unlearn in principle so you have capacity to learn something new uh, i think that's really really great advice where, where can people find out more paula what can they 
I guess they can go on Amazon or wherever to get your book. Uh, we'll put a link in the, the show notes as well. But if they want to know more about what you do and some of the other things you, you write about, where, where should they go? Yeah, so my, um, my website is vantagepointsconsulting.com. There's a blog on there every week as well um, that I also put up on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Paula Leach. Um, I also do quite a bit of slightly different content on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is at Vantage Points Consulting. And yeah, the book is called um, Vantage Points, How to Create a Culture Where Employees Thrive. And on Amazon and lots of other outlets as well. And on um, e-reader. So you can get it on Kindle. It's not just um, hard copy book. Good, good, good. Thank you so much for for coming on to to the show and share all your wisdom, knowledge, and insight you accumulated over the years, and your view on how leadership will evolve over the years. I'm sure there's a lot out there that are going to get a lot out of this and a lot of reflection coming out of this. So I send you all the power and energy you need as well to to move forward in this new world. And uh, I'm sure we're going to catch up at some point, even maybe here on the show again, uh, talking about leadership as we, we move out of the pandemic, maybe, because there's maybe a new shift coming that we even haven't seen yet. Thank you, Michael. It's been a wonderful conversation. And um, thank you to your listeners and good luck with what I know is a big changing industry. So lots of changes, lots of opportunities. Thank you so much, Paula, for sharing your insights and wisdom with us around leadership and the transformation we need to go through. If you want to learn more about how you become a better leader and become more effective as a leader, I will recommend you to visit episode 54, Lead with Compassion with Gina Garnier, Will be talking about empowerment and transformational leadership. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at BizSimply.com or on their social at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ. You can also email them directly on advice at BizSimply.com. A big thank you to Fina Charlton, the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to our community and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. Thank you and be maverick.